You might not have heard of Hint or the Hint Group, but in America, next to the big names like Coca-Cola, Schweppes, Pepsi, Hint is about the biggest drinks brand out there. And what I wanted to do was speak to somebody that's founded a business in a fairly congested space to see how they've gone about building their business and building the brand around that business. So I spoke to Cara Golden. She founded Hint about 15 years ago. And following some time in kind of the media and marketing world, she worked for CNN in sales and then sold lots of online businesses as well. She graduated to running her own business and it's hugely successful. We cover how Cara started the business and kind of her business ethos. We get to grips with the skills that Cara thinks it takes to managing a business in this day and age. And finally, we ask Cara Golden, the CEO and founder of Hint, for her rocket fuel. So Cara Golding, CEO of Hint, I can't thank you enough for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Cara, bring to life your journey for us because Hint has been around, it's almost kind of, it, it's the masterwork of your career, but there was life before Hint, wasn't there? Uh, there, there was. I was in media and prior to uh, actually then going into tech. And then um, I guess I'm in beverage now. I sort of, I look at it a little bit differently, but, uh, but we're really focused on, on helping people enjoy water. Uh, and as crazy as that may sound to some who uh, don't have a problem drinking water, I always felt that water was very boring. And so I wouldn't drink it. And that's kind of how Hint started. And it was kind of a health food idea that you had in your own kitchen. That's broadly right, isn't it? Yeah, well, I was, I left AOL after uh, really being on a rocket ship at AOL where, you know, I was there in the early days of e-commerce and, uh, you know, nothing had really been figured out around e-commerce. And I mean, truly the early, early days of e-commerce. And the, uh, when I left after seven years, it was a billion dollars in revenue to AOL. And I, I uh, you know, sort of decided I was going to, I had young kids at the time. I decided I was going to go home and try and, you know, be a mom and, and, you know, and be a parent. And I think at that point I, I started getting itchy and started getting calls from people saying, hey, what are you doing? I'm starting this company. I live, you know, just outside of San Francisco, Silicon Valley area. And, uh, and while I started looking at a lot of these different opportunities, I also felt like I was uh, like being asked to do um, what I had done before, but better. And I thought, well, I've built something pretty fantastic. And so why would I want to go and blow that up? Right. And, you yeah. know, or, or do better than that. And so I also just felt like I had done a few different things even before tech, like I was saying, I was at CNN and kind of the early days as well. And I felt like I, I don't have to just look at tech. I can look at sort of other things. It's based on, you know, I'm very curious. I really want to learn. I, you know, for me, like, what else can I be doing? Never did I think that I was ultimately going to go and start a beverage company. But, you know, to your point, while I was looking for what that perfect opportunity was, I decided that I was going to start cooking, start, you know, working out similar to, you know, the, the whole 
lifestyle that I think is going on with so many in shelter in place uh, mm. or, you know, through the whole COVID situation where you start to just think, okay, like during this time, I'm going to, you know, get healthy and, and not just sit there and eat Cheetos all day and, <laughs> and, you know, and spend some time, you know, really focusing on this. And so that was me, you know, about 16 years ago. And I, you know, really started looking at everything that I was eating, everything that I was drinking. I was shopping at a store that had just cropped up in San Francisco called Whole Foods. And, uh, you know, I figured if I started shopping at Whole Foods, I would become healthy. Like, why yeah. not? Right. You, you go to a store like that. And instead, I it happens gained, by osmosis, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I gained I gained weight, not because of it wasn't Whole, Whole Foods fault, but I just, you know, realized that it was really I had to be more thoughtful about it. And and so while I spent so much time looking at what I was eating, one day, as I had become accustomed to reading labels, I saw that on my Diet Coke were plenty of things that I didn't recognize. And I thought, well, I had made these rules around my food to really understand what I was putting into my body. But I had sort of given a pass to my Diet Coke that I had been sure. drinking for so many years. When I threw it in the garbage, which was not easy, it's a story in and of itself, but when I threw it in the garbage and started drinking plain water, I found, you know, it was super boring, started questioning like, well, I've never really liked water and that's why I drink things like Diet Coke. Um, and, but I thought I'm going to do this for two weeks and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. And it was really, really tough. But at the end of two weeks, I, uh, you know, I had some extra weight on me through all the pregnancies and actually other things. My skin had developed terrible adult acne over the years that I, you know, had a million reasons why that was going on. And my energy levels had just gone down. But over the next two and a half weeks of swapping Diet Coke for plain water, I hopped on the scale and realized I had lost 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. And my acne was gone. My energy levels were up. And I thought, wow, like it's, it's you know, it's not just shopping at Whole Foods and working out. It's actually paying attention. And so Fast forward six months, I then lost 55 pounds, went through a whole process of wondering whether or not I was sick, um, you know, and I, and it just ended up that I was actually drinking a lot more water and, you know, my body appreciated that at this point. Then after about a year of living this way, I, you know, really saw that what I had experienced could actually help a lot of people to not only get healthy, but keep their health if they actually knew how important, you know, what they were drinking was. And, and this was also at a time, I mean, my, my sort of, you know, time was spent drinking Diet Coke, which until this moment, I never thought that there was anything wrong because it said the word diet. But there sure. were also drinks out there that were calling themselves water that still call themselves water today that are heavily sweetened, not just with sugar, but potentially, you know, diet sweeteners. And, you know, I just, I really realized that I could actually, you know, develop this product and help a lot more people beyond myself. 
and hints for the benefit of those that are in the UK that are listening, because you are you, you are sometimes in the UK, but you're not in a big level. We have some listeners in the US; they will know what hint is. But in the UK, for the benefit of the listeners, it's naturally flavoured water. So, and it's different flavours, but it's only fruit you use, correct? Yeah. So, and also the key thing is is that we don't use sweeteners. So, mm. when I developed the product, um, you know, sugar was starting to be the enemy, right? Like people were talking 16 years ago about, oh, sugar's really bad and we drink too much sweetened stuff, but nobody was really talking about diet sweeteners. And at that time it was uh, Splenda and NutraSweet and Aspartame and it had been saccharin um, prior to me starting this, but it was, you know, the discussion really wasn't there yet around diet sweeteners. And so, you know, when I decided to ultimately develop this product at home in my kitchen, took it to my local Whole Foods and said, how about we get it on the shelf and see what happens? People really looked at me like, lady, I don't know what you're selling here, but there's nothing wrong with diet sweeteners. And then when I would share my story, people were like, oh, gosh, I never really realized that something like a, you know, vitamin water 15 years ago had more sugar in it than a can of Coke. Yet because it was called vitamin and water, it yep. was like tricking your brain to not even look at the label, right? Yeah. And yeah, so, so I was educating people, um, you know, about, uh, about other products as well. But just getting back to sort of what Hint is, I mean, we started in one store in San Francisco. We've grown it across the U.S. We're now the largest flavored water in the U.S. We're the largest independent non-alcoholic beverage in the U.S. That, that does not have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper Snapple. So, uh, and, you know, a little bit about what you and I were talking about. I didn't have beverage experience. I think now it's always easier to look back on, you know, like, oh, that was, that was sort of the moment. But, but I think like the biggest thing that actually helped me to develop this company and and most of our team has not had any type of beverage experience either was curiosity that so we were was, all yeah forgive me i was going to no. ask were there any parts of you not having beverage experience that benefited the business i'm guess guessing you can use a certain amount of ignorance to question things and do things in a different way right totally and that's what like i think if we would have walked i mean i remember our first uh our first bottler that we were talking to. And I mean, this was when I was thinking, okay, I can't scale this thing in my kitchen. I've got to go find somebody to go develop this product. You know, the first question that a lot of these bottlers would ask me is, you know, I'm saying, Hey, I've got this idea for a company and I'd really love to bottle it with you. And they'd be like, Oh, you know, like, did you work at Pepsi or, you know, one of these other, or did you work in the food industry before? And I'm like, Nope, Nope. I, you know, worked in tech and it was like, click, you know, nobody wanted to sort of have this conversation because they were quickly sizing me up as to whether or not I was just wasting their time. And then even still, you know, as we moved forward, I mean, that would come up too. Like, they're like, why do you think that you ultimately can do this product? And, and again, like I, you know, share my story about sort of how it, I was just so passionate about how it had changed me. And, and you know, and I really like, I was angry about how I had been fooled by all these like, you know, products that 
I was even willing to pay more for in you know, certain stores, right? But I just in order to maintain health for my family and myself, and I just was really, yeah, I mean, that, that for me was, was kind of the epiphany that I thought was, was really kind of missing. But also, I would say that the two things were really, you know, the curiosity because I didn't have experience, but also, you know, this, when you look at these large companies that are out there and, you know, many are not trusted. I mean, forget about the beverage industry, but, you know, also outside and many food companies too, there's not a person, right. That you really remember. You can't like sort of put your, you know, like you can't put your finger on in most cases who developed that product or in many cases, they're not alive anymore. Right. It's like a hundred year old company or whatever. And I think that that was something that I really was like, again, really just not really knowing that that wasn't the right thing to do. I mean, I remember how many people said to me early on, like, oh, well, don't tell your story because that makes you look really small. And I was like, wait, really? Like that, that's like, yeah, like I, I was just like, oh, okay. Like, I, and, and again, like people would share the rules with me, but I was, I was like, okay, I, I don't really know how else to talk about it then. I, so I want to tell people my story so that they can connect why. And so I was going to ask this question a bit later on, but seeing as you've chanced upon it, how much of the hint brand is you and how much are you the hint brand? Are the two, could the two ever be separated? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think more and more as we've grown over the last 15 years, it's... Uh, and, and frankly, this was happening early on. I mean, I realized that there were people within, you know, two weeks of trying our product when we were just launching. It's 15 years this month, actually. Oh, um, congratulations. I was, I was, yeah, I was pregnant, actually, with my fourth child when I developed this idea for this company and then decided I only had about six months left in the pregnancy to actually get the product on the shelf. So for everybody out there who you know, there, there could not have been in so many naysayers that I had around me mind, like why I shouldn't launch this company. Um, but I feel like as, you know, I, as I launched it, I would hear back from consumers how this product was really helping them. And, you know, and I had never in any of these other companies that I had worked for ever received consumer like emails. Like I had, what was receiving. So people, and at that time, people kind of knew my story, but they, they liked the product. So I always share with people, like, especially if you have a drink today, like it has to taste good. Like you can talk about all these things like, you know, around the product, but the product has to taste good. So once I passed that part of the test, people would start digging a little bit more and, you know, and seeing like my story about, I wanted a water that had fruit in it, real fruit and no sweeteners in it. And then people would write me and, and tell me their story. And I'd write back to them and I'd say, oh, just curious, like, why were you looking for this product? And, you know, I would hear like, oh, I have this thing called type two diabetes and, you know, I'm trying to control it. Again, this is somebody, I, I don't know this person, like they're just emailing me and they would tell me all of these like, you know, health related issues that were not my issue, but I thought, wow, like that's pretty crazy that they're just so excited about this product. So I feel like you're like, 
over time, it's only increased. It wasn't on purpose that yeah. I was like saying, eventually, like by next month, I need to make this someone else's product. But I think by, again, sharing my own story, only because I just didn't know how else to do it, other than tell people my why, they would come back and share their why. And I feel like that's become synonymous with the brand today. Um, in terms of your hiring, your team, is there a commonality of, of traits that you look for in the sort of people that you hire? Who do you like to be surrounded by in the workplace? What do they have to be? So I, th I think it depends on what stage your company is in. I mean, I would say that from the beginning, I was always trying to hire people who are, you know, curious, passionate, uh, understand living the healthy lifestyle. Most people, I would say, actually come to Hint after they've tried the product and they've become fans. Um, but I also feel like as you grow, it's really important to have really good managers. And again, that just varies. I mean, a company that has 20 people versus you know 70 people versus 200 people, you really need to put good managers in place, you know, to sort of really keep the uh, keep the engine going, right? And and I yep. think that that is uh, so. You know, it just varies depending on what stage we're in. I mean, we're frequently looking though at our organization, um, you know, to on each division to try and really understand, you know, do we have the creativity? Um, but do we, and, but do we also have the execution and do we have the leader in place within that group that ultimately can manage this and our growth? And Cara, perhaps the last question in this section, although I may ask one more, what professionally do you think you're known for? If people are talking about you in a professional capacity, what do you think they say? I think I'm a builder and I yeah. don't, um, you know, I, I actually have a, uh, a book coming out in October. It's called Undaunted. I've been told that very uh, frequently when I'm out speaking that it's just, you know, I think to the people that have fears and maybe haven't built companies, a lot of the stuff that I've done, you know, launch a product while like while I'm pregnant with my fourth child, I have four kids under the age of six at the time. Like there people are like, what, wait, what? Like, how did, how did you do this? How did you just walk into a Whole Foods and get your product on the shelf? Like all of these kind of things. I just don't, I don't allow myself to build too much fear. I figure I, I, um, I mean, people say, oh, you're, does that mean you're not afraid of failure? I'm like, I just don't recognize failure like i in the same way that i think other people do i look at failure as you know there's a 50 percent shot or maybe you know that that changes depending on the situation that i you know that it goes like one direction or the other and i think that if it doesn't go the direction or if it does go the direction then that just makes you better the next time and so it's really thinking about all of these experiences as journeys and, you know, and it's, and I think like, that's really what I'm known for. I mean, I think people would say she's gutsy, you know, she's quick, she's, you know, undaunted, whatever. But I think like the key, the key thing is, is that I'm, um, 
I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily known. I mean, maybe today I'm known in the beverage industry, but I think when people look back on, on the stuff that I've done, and I think this applies to so many entrepreneurs, it doesn't really matter like what industry you're in because they're all kind of similar. Like, you know, even I was on a webinar the other day and I was talking about COVID and, and kind of what I've learned along, you know, the way. And we've always been, our supply chain is all local in, in the U.S. And, you know, I've said, uh, we, we actually were in the U.K. a few years ago. And, and we just thought, like, if we're really going to be there, we need teams there. I want to produce there. We just need, you know, we're just not ready to just, like, go over there quite yet. Having said that, we're, we're rethinking about it. Um, going over, um, hopefully in the beginning of 2021. But, but as I start to like think back on, on, you know, what we've done, I feel like that's that's just um, we've done a we've done so much right um, that I've been able to see during this during this time um, that it that I don't think like that's too much different in terms of like our supply chain has not been interrupted through this process because we've made decisions about being as local as possible. And, and I think that, you know, you look at, at that for a healthcare industry or, you know, any, anybody else, like, I think it's, it really is kind of the same thing. It's like, you look at factories, we're all on different timings, right? You guys, the UK was a little ahead of us. We're sort of learning from you guys, you know, and Asia was even ahead of us and this, so we're all kind of like, you know, learning, but in it, the aftermath of all this is that, you know, the, the factories are shut down or, or just trying to get going again in, in, in mm. Italy. So I was talking to a friend of mine in the apparel industry and, you know, she's like, you know, we're getting ready to open, but unfortunately they're so backlogged in Italy that I don't know when I'm going to get my fabric. So she's like, I need to find a local supplier should, if this ever happens again. And again, like, I think those kind of pieces are things that, ultimately you know you can you can take over into any any industry section two of rocket fuel is where we get to understand our guests business and the things that they've done in their professional lives what their role is the organization that they represent i'm still here with cara golden ceo of int and what i wanted to do cara is before we get really into the nuts and bolts of hint is I actually wanted to ask a question about your background because you've alluded to it before you were at CNN 94 ish now to me that must have been roughly when it was or very early on in CNN's kind of trajectory what did you learn at CNN that you've taken through to your career and was it a crazy time and also are you looking forward to the book that's just about to come out all about the launch of CNN yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, I think for me, I, I ended up, I was, I started my career at Time uh, Magazine and I was in this, I always wanted to be a writer and I wasn't hired to be a writer. I, I worked in something called Circulation, which I also talk about today, that it was one of the most brilliant jobs I had because I actually, Circulation is, uh, is, is really learning about consumer behaviors and subscriptions and lifetime value and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today. Um, and in addition, 
to sort of this role in circulation, I was running the uh, airline circulation for Time and People and Sports Illustrated and a bunch of publications. I mean, right out of university. I mean, really, like I I had tons of like tons of exposure and tons of ability to ultimately like fail, right? Yep. Fall on my ass, like essentially if I if I wanted to. So. I got a call actually one day from CNN and they said, hey, we, you know, heard you're responsible for this airport um, business and we'd really love to chat with you. And so I went over to uh, the office to go and interview and um, it was, uh, they, they had this, Ted Turner had this idea to launch these monitors in airports with CNN running on them. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Like, I'm kind of amazed that it's not actually here and they're going to sell advertising, but they didn't know how to ultimately, um, you know, measure that advertising. And so how many people were sitting in a gate and all of those kind of things. And, and so again, I was so not qualified to take on this position, but I was like thinking, God, they're like going to hire me for this. I mean, that's crazy. CNN was just getting going. I, I really appreciated the fact that they were 24 hour news and not just six and 10 as news used mm. to be. And, um, and so shortly after jumping in there and helping, you know, look at sort of what that business would look like, um, the Gulf War rolls around and, uh, and they said, you know, all hands on deck, everybody is selling. And, um, and so my, my new role was to like go into advertising agencies and actually learn things like, you know, cost per thousands. And, you know, they weren't even talking about clicks back then, but they were talking about yeah. audience numbers and all this stuff. And what I realized was that I, I enjoyed the learning aspect of it, but I didn't necessarily love the sales side of it. I just right. didn't, I just didn't think like that's ultimately what I wanted to do. It was fine, but it wasn't really what I ultimately wanted to do. And, and this so, sounds like the silliest thing. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. This sounds like the silliest thing in the world to say, but Ted Turner in 1994 was not Ted Turner now. So it was kind of, it wasn't bootstrap, but it was pretty, it oh, was yeah. pretty, I mean, it was, yeah, it, it could have failed, I suppose. There's, well, <laughs> it could have and been. I, and I think like the other thing, uh, you know, that I, I actually talk about it in a whole chapter in my, in my book coming out, okay, but okay. You know, going from, you know, timing, um, you know, prior to it becoming a time Warner, the culture there was very Ivy league, very, everybody wore their suits, you know, it just, there was no like casual Fridays back then. It was very, you know, it was just a totally different culture. And so I, I had no idea. I mean, nobody was even talking about culture back then, right? And so I take this role mm -hmm. at CNN and, you know, CNN, and I mean, frankly, I think this is the same for so many startups. It, it, you very much take on the, um, the attitudes of, and frankly, the culture of the founder, especially yeah. in the first like 50 people. And so you know, Ted Turner is just, he's this larger than life guy. He was married to Jane Fonda at the time, but he was definitely like a cowboy, you know, swearing, like doing lots of things that I just was like, I was fine with it, but I was also kind of like very different from time where everybody's like very polite. And, you know, it's just, it's just two totally different cultures. And I mean, ironically, uh, you know, I was actually okay with it, but I think like that was another thing that I felt like I, 
I probably preferred the timing culture versus the versus the CNN culture. And then I went on to do a little startup in Silicon Valley. I moved to San Francisco and it was a spin out of Apple that was actually developed by Steve Jobs. And I never worked for Steve, but these people worked for Steve. And again, very, um, very tech driven, very creative, um, very different culture as well. We were acquired by America Online, which was also, you know, probably the fourth culture that I saw that was like a little bit different, but we were on this rocket ship of growth. Um, and when all of my former companies came together, they were all acquired by Time Warner. I was asked to be on this transition team. And I remember the first thing that I thought was like, oh my God, this is like having a bad dinner party with like too many different, like at first it's kind of funny, right? I don't know if you've ever like thought about that, but you know, you put four people into a room or 10 people into a room kind of, you know, from different cultures, different, like, I don't know. It's just, it's like, you know, it was sort of stressful to sort of think like, I don't know how this whole thing is going to work. And ultimately it didn't work. So, yeah. Let's chat hint. It's been a passion project. You've built it to 200 people. Look, why don't we chat the model first of all? You've got distribution in stores, but there's also an office in office part of the business. Um, yeah. So you've kind of got a diverse range of customers. Is that fair to say? So we actually, we started in stores, um, like specialty stores first, and then we went into grocery and club and, and some of the other categories within retail. Very early on, I was actually interviewing for a role at Google. And, um, and uh, this guy, Omid Cortesani, was, it was trying to get me to come um, to Google and actually trying to get my husband, actually was his lawyer. They had worked together at, at Netscape he was trying to get both of us to come and join Google very early. And I, uh, you know, after a while, especially when you know somebody and they're kind of a friend and he kept like saying, what's it going to take, you know, to get you to come. And, and again, like in my mind, I was kind of like, I'm not really interested in this right now. And it really doesn't have anything to do with money or like, you know, what Benny's you're giving me. It's really about like kind of life decision. And so after I sort of, like had lunch with him, gave him this talk about, you know, I was thinking about something else. He, I could tell he got a little worried that I was actually talking. He thought I was talking to a competitor. And mm -hmm. I, you know, it was like the last thing in the world that I thought he thought, but then I figured it out pretty quickly. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I'm not at all. I'm, I'm doing this beverage company. And he's, you know, again, he's interviewing me for a role at, at Google. And here I'm like, talking to him about this beverage company. He's like, wait, what? Like you're doing a beverage company? And I was like, oh yeah, I have some in my bag. Would you like some? And I handed him a few bottles of the drink and he said, like, seriously, you're, you're really, I mean, you were the, you know, head of e-commerce and shopping at AOL and now you're doing a beverage company. And I was like, that's right. It's like pretty crazy. And I don't know if I'll do it forever, but you know, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and he said, well, I have no idea why you're doing this company. The product tastes pretty good, but we're just putting chefs into Google um, because the lines are, it takes too long for people to go out and get lunch. So we figured let's just have them catered and have food here. So maybe they need drinks. And I mean, I think he was half kidding, right? Like he was just like, 
you know, and he, I said, oh, do you have the guy's phone number? And he said, yeah, I'd call this guy. So I called this guy, Charlie. And, you know, he, he's like, oh, you're friends with Omid. That sounds great. Like what, how much are the cases? Like it was like a charity situation. I mean, wow. truly. And then he brought it in. We were the first drink at Google and he brought it in and he was just like, you know, I remember like a week later, um, he called me and he said, do you have 30 cases? And I mean, they were bigger than Whole Foods for us, like within a minute. And then, um, and so we grew up in, in very much in, in Google and, you know, lots of, you know, great people were there. They were just loving the water. They, you know, many of them knew we were a San Francisco company, but many just liked the product and were drinking it. And then people like Sheryl Sandberg, uh, you know, never forget when she went to Facebook, her assistant called me and I didn't know her. And I, and she said, Oh, Cheryl loves hint. And can you, uh, uh, can you guys deliver hint into Facebook? And, and so that continued and we became the largest beverage in Silicon Valley. Um, and then, you know, so that's like our, so that's considered like food service, office food service. Yeah. And then our, third channel of distribution is online sales. Um, up until COVID, that was about 40% of our overall business. It, it yeah. initiated on Amazon and then we actually launched our own site so that we could have everything that we do, all 20 flavors um, plus other stuff that we do um, available to the consumer. And, you know, when COVID came into effect, even though we're um, an essential product, that, uh, we just, we had a list of, we have over a million uh, subscribers um, on our service. And so we reached out and we just said, hey, listen, you know, going into stores is, is uh, you know, we're going to do our best to keep product in stock, but everybody, it's, it's tough. I mean, the store, the workers are having a hard time stocking the shelves, et cetera. So we pushed our consumers um, I wouldn't say we pushed them online, but we, but we basically said we're, you know, always available online. We don't have any delays or anything. I mean, that business now is probably close to 60% of our overall business, wow. which for a beverage company is very, very yeah, unusual. Yeah. And so. it's changing the relationship between your customer, right? Because it's not a, it's not a purchase on a whim. It's, it's, it's something that they're, it's a subscription. It's something they're passionate about, right? Fans of your drinks are, you could argue, are more passionate than fans of other drinks. Yeah, and I think it's it's selection. I mean, it's you know, it's convenience. They don't have to lug a heavy case home, um, but it's also the convenience of it. We also do, you know, a lot of fun stuff, including we'll do something called smash ups, where. I'll just say, you know, let's put strawberry and blueberry together and do and run 10,000 cases. And th that will be gone in a half an hour, like off of our online site. When we launch mashups, which we do like once a month, they're just these crazy flavors that are not available in stores that we just decide like, you know, let's do it just because we can. And I mean, it's very, I think, I don't think we've had any that haven't sold out within an hour. Wow. Yeah. Um, forgive the bold question, Cara. Have you been dragged into any brand extensions that haven't worked? Have you been tempted by something that kind of wasn't in your, in your f main focus and have hints made any mistakes? 
you know, the lucky thing about being the CEO is that I actually, I can't say I've been dragged into anything. I'm, I'm probably sure. more the initiator um, yeah. of, of these things. Um, you know, we had a, we got a lot of learnings. I mean, I remember early on, we, one of our first flavors was a cucumber water and, uh, you know, seems normal today. Like people, you go to a nice restaurant or spa and you see cucumber water. I remember, I'm a member of Soho House. You can hardly move for cucumber water in there. So, right? yeah. <laughs> and, and it was funny because we launched it in San Francisco first, our, our company. And uh, we went down to some stores in Los Angeles, not too far from San Francisco, but actually kind of different in terms of you know, consumer behavior, at least back then a little bit. We took it to New York and I remember and got it into some stores and I mean, we could hardly keep it in stock on the West coast of the wow. US. In New York, we would get hate mail. Like people were like, <laughs> do not like watch this cucumber water in my state, in my city. Like people would like scream at us. We're like, wait, what? what? What are you talking about? And so, you know, I mean, it was true. Like, it was just, it was a crazy, crazy, like, people were rabid, like, on both coasts about, mm. then, you know, even we decided, we put it on, um, we did, you know, less production on, on cucumber, particularly as we got bigger on, on the East Coast. And, and again, things started to normalize in terms of, like, you know, consumer behavior. I mean, you know, back then, you didn't even have a Starbucks in in Paris, right? Like it was just things started to get much more, you know, yeah, everywhere, all brands everywhere and whatever. But I remember just thinking, you know, there really was such a difference. And we and we also didn't want to alienate people because we felt like there was, you know, this potential, if that was their first experience with the brand, mm -hmm. then maybe, you know, they'd be like, yeah. oh, I hate, I hate Hint or whatever. Um, so you know, I wouldn't say that it was a mistake. It was more of a, you know, a learning. learning and we're quick learners along the way. I would have never anticipated um, that that would be, you know, something that I would have, like, I wouldn't have even thought that that was an issue. Because again, like, I really liked cucumber and why would, you know, New Yorkers like hate it so bad. But yeah. I, um, final question in this section, yeah. and it's one around competitors. Do you monitor other beverage brands? Do you monitor other sun cream brands, other health brands? And, and do you think it's healthy to, to do so? Do you think it's important to do so? What's your relationship like with your competitors? So I think it's something that it's, uh, I mean, I definitely am aware of, of lots of brands and, and, you know, I, I spot them more from a consumer perspective and, right. you know, I, I think um, also having four teenagers in my house, like I'm mm. pretty, um, I'm pretty familiar with, um, I mean, they're definitely the, the, you know, early adopters, I think. To are they on TikTok or are they all over TikTok? You know, no, my, my 15 year old, it's funny that you asked that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of surprised through the whole shelter in place that he hasn't become, you know, he was pretty active on TikTok, but he's sort of tiring of it a little yeah. bit, which I think is interesting. And, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it, you know, I've, I've seen this over the years and, you know, it's, it's uh, on different 
different categories and, and stuff that they're using. And I think it's the same with consumer products too. Mm -hmm. It's like you, I watch them a lot and you know, they don't know that they're actively being sort of like screened for the, for the friends. <laughs> but I do think, you know, and again, I don't necessarily even stop and say anything to them, but I just notice like stuff that they're picking up on and, and why. Um, but I would, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there, there's definitely, uh, there, it's great to have them around so that I can kind of see, you know, what they're, what they're eyeing. And, and I definitely look at products. I wouldn't say that I, I didn't really go out and look at sunscreen products or deodorant, deodorant products until I was actually trying to purchase this specific thing. And I think it's the same sure. thing for, you know, to try and find out if there actually is this product out here and, you know, is it only available in the UK or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, I think you, you, you need to pay attention um, to products. But again, I think there's different types of entrepreneurs. There are ones that, you know, basically, you know, take a product and, and go and just make it like tweak it and make it a little bit better. And then there's ones like me that are somewhat insane that actually take on, I mean, we not only developed the first unsweetened flavored water in the market that was a still version of the water. There were carbonated versions that had too much sodium and other stuff in it. But, but we, like, there was not even when, when we first started, and part of our problems in terms of getting shelf space was that there was no category. Like, we didn't have a category. And I kept saying to the buyers, uh, they'd be like, okay, here's my planogram. And we've got soda and diet soda and water and energy drinks and this and this and like where would i put you guys and i'm like i don't know just take a little of the soda out and take a little of the energy out and they're like no like you don't have a category and i had no idea that i was developing an entirely new category so the the challenge of being you know innovative and early is and is that if you don't have like people that are caught up to you from a distribution standpoint to date, it's been, you're sort of like at their mercy, right? Because you can't, they, you know, the buyer couldn't actually buy the product because I didn't fit into a category today. If you know how to do direct to consumer, that all goes away, right? Like you can sell your brand online. You can be a local pub owner and you decide I don't want mixers that, you know, this certain distributor only sells this type of mixer. I don't want any of those. And now I just go online and I just buy them, right? Like I think like the, the, the ability to actually go direct and, you know, direct to consumer or direct to business is just, it's just way different today. And the limits are, you know, way more open. And frankly, you know, I think, that's the first thing that people decide is what kind of, and if you haven't, if you're an entrepreneur and you haven't asked yourself that question, I think it's an important one. Like what kind of entrepreneur are you? So the third section of the rocket fuel podcast is where we ask our guest for some actionable insights, some takeaways, some things that we, the audience of marketing media tech types, those that are looking at youth audiences can use in our daily professional lives. I'm still here with Cara, the CEO of Hint. 
Kara, let's start with a big question first. What do you know about youth audiences? I think that, you know, this is this goes to sort of what I've seen with uh, not only my own my own teenagers, but also with, you know, people that are our employees. I I think loyalty is not uh, a given um, in terms of brand loyalty. And so I think that they're always looking for the next thing. And so whether that's TikTok, you know, it's like, you know, these things people think like, oh, they just cropped up overnight. It's like, no, it's you get these audiences that are really, they want new, they want different. They like, you know, attention spans, right? They're, they're, there's a constant need for, you know, newness and innovation. And, you know, even with our consumers, and I would say that, you know, just growing up in, in sort of the tech world where there were, you know, lots of people uh, trying our product for the first time, it's like, you know, they drank our product, they love our product, and they're like, when are your new flavors coming out, right? Like, it's, it does not matter what it is, whether it's tech or consumer products. I think that's the key thing. How old are Hint customers for the most part? You know, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's, it's interesting. I would say that our purchasers mimic what the stores that we're in, right? So, you know, you've got the whole foods of the world and, and socioeconomic backgrounds as well, but then we're also in Target. We just went into Walmart. Um, and Aldi and a few others. So, so it's pretty broad. I mean, we really look at it as, you know, people who just want to drink water. And, sure. I, and I think like, that's the key thing. Um, having said all of that, we also have homes that have more than the purchaser in them, right? So yep. we have tons of, you know, young adults now that have of grown course. up with the product um, as well. And we're in a lot of schools too. So I would say that, you know, the core kind of online audience purchasers are probably like 25 to 45. But, yeah. um, but, you know, I think it's, I think it's younger. I mean, as we've been in colleges and universities and high schools as well, I, you know, I run into people all the time uh, they may not be using their own credit card. They may be using, you know, their parents, right? And yeah. um, so, but I think that it it gets, you know, it, it's getting actually, which is very unusual for a brand. I think it's actually getting younger um, and it's not, our brand is not getting older. We live in an age where every marketer talks about brand purpose. What do you think is important to audiences now, particularly young audiences? You know, I, th I think that audience, brands that speak to uh, your why and why you, why you did this, um, you know, I think that there, there definitely is a curiosity um, that goes along and people kind of want to make the connection, whether it's a, you know, Hint or an Uber or, you know, a Spanx or, um, or even an Apple. Like, I think it, it's, you are constantly, you know, trying to think about uh, where this product came from and what is kind of the why. And, and frankly, I think that that's an advantage for entrepreneurs too, that in today's day and age, especially when you're entering a big category like, you know, like uh, 
the, the soda market or the water market, it's definitely a, um, you know, there's not a lot of those companies that actually do have a brand story um, like a product like Hint does. So I think um, that that's just really, that's really important for this consumer. And what do you think has changed about the way young audiences behave and what do you think will be the next big change? You know, I'll, I'll be interested to hear, and I think this is not just for young audiences. I think this is just, I think this is for audiences over well. I think over, overall, I think health is, health has always been, you know, super important to me. And, and for the last 15 years in particular, since I started Hint, I think it's something that is, you know, really important. But I think in today's day and age, when, you know, we're talking about this during, you know, the, the pandemic, the COVID shelter in place, depending on however you want to look at it. I think that everybody kind of looks around and wonders like why some people, you know, got hit with this and others didn't. And, you know, they seem like pretty healthy. Why were they getting it? And I think at the end of the day, people are sitting here saying, I've got to, you know, stay in shape. I've got to eat right. I've got to, you know, pay more attention. And, and then also, I think uh, there's a lot of people really thinking from a from uh you know is this role the role that i really want to do like from a you know mental like mindset perspective too i think health is is becoming more and more critical to people like and and i think that that's something that is again like i think that's for everybody but i think it's particularly for younger audiences as well cara it's been a fascinating discussion um if you wanted uh, people to find you on social media, where should they go to find you on social yeah, media? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm on pretty much every platform. I'm pretty active on Twitter um, and also LinkedIn at Kara Golden. It's K-A-R-A-G-O-L-D-I-N. And of course, uh, when you're in the U.S., hopefully we'll be over in the U.K. soon. But uh, when you're in the U.S., look for our product at most stores. Uh, it's called Hint, and you can also get it online as well as Amazon, hopefully on Amazon over in the UK soon, too, at, um, just at, at Hint. So, Cara, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It. Really appreciate it. So that was Cara Golden, who's the CEO and founder of Hint. A good chat, I thought. I could speak to Cara all day. She's got one of those infectious uh, personalities. If you do think anybody else would get something from this podcast, be sure to share it. Be sure to give us a nice review. But most importantly, tune in next week for somebody else from the world of youth marketing and youth culture, as we are somebody else for their rocket fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.